Good evening. Well, I am excited to be in chapter 3 of the book of Proverbs. We started our series of studies last time we were together on a Wednesday, and I have to say, you know, Job is a heavy book, right? Job is a heavy book. Uh, Proverbs is not a heavy book. It's an encouraging book, and not that Job isn't encouraging, but it has so much wisdom for us, and we need wisdom, amen? And, and the thing about wisdom is it brings its rewards, and once we got into chapter 2, Solomon has been talking to us about the rewards, the blessings of wisdom. I need blessings, you? I'm looking forward to our study because we're going to learn that wisdom will reward us if we apply it to our lives. Now, if you refuse to apply it, you won't receive the rewards. The opposite will happen. You'll suffer the consequences of not applying wisdom in your life. What I really enjoy is learning about wisdom from God's word because what it tells me is the right thing to do. And I need to know, I'm sure you do as well, we need to know the right thing to do. And it's simple. Do the right thing and good things happen. Do the wrong thing and bad things happen. It all comes down to the decisions we make, the choices we have before us, and whether or not as we're making those choices in our lives, we apply God's word. Now, the reason we need wisdom is you're not going to open up your Bibles and find a solution or an answer to every single question you have or decision you need to make. So what the Bible does is it gives us a book like Proverbs. There are other books, but this book in particular, God gives us a book where the Holy Spirit will teach us how to respond in these circumstances so we'll know what to do. And I I love this little saying it's do what you know and you'll know what to do and so what we're going to learn tonight is the wisdom that God has for us in the book of Proverbs but more importantly we're going to be able to apply this to our lives and reap the rewards of wisdom let's pray Lord Heavenly Father we thank you for your word and we are so grateful that you instruct us that you teach us that you give us understanding and knowledge and wisdom and we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. But that's, that's two things. It's, it's the beginning of all that you have for us, but it's also just the beginning. For your word gives us such understanding, knowledge, and wisdom that we can learn and apply to our hearts and to our lives and be blessed. And so we pray that we would be blessed and that we would learn much this evening. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Well, let's start by looking at some of the blessings of wisdom in chapter 3. Uh, These are things I think everybody wants. First off, longevity and prosperity. That is a long and prosperous life. When you were living in the ancient times, there was no guarantee that you would be prosperous, certainly, or that you would live a very long life. Now, today we're living longer because of health care and other reasons, uh, we, we have a better life than most people have ever had throughout the centuries. So maybe we don't think about this as much, but people die very young because they don't apply wisdom to their hearts and lives. I am so tired of reading stories about 19-year-olds and 25-year-olds and 32-year-olds who they find unresponsive because they were either doing things they shouldn't do or taking drugs or drinking or whatever it is, living in a way they shouldn't, 
Sometimes it's the result of those things. Sometimes it's not. But generally what happens is you live an unhealthy life and it catches up with you. And young people now are dying. Very young people are dying because of the bad decisions they make every day. So it's very true. And so I would say the Bible tells us, and Solomon teaches his son by saying, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Very simple encouragement. Wisdom will bless us with a long life, longevity, and prosperity. What is prosperity? Success, doing well in life. It's amazing. If you don't apply wisdom, you're not generally going to do well at your job or in school or in your relationships because you're foolish. Foolishness brings all types of bad things into our lives. But wisdom brings us the best things. God's wisdom in the book of Proverbs gives us that prosperity, success in our life. So much of the success that I've experienced in my life when I was in the the corporate world was because I was wise, because God gave me the wisdom in his word, and I applied it, and I was blessed for it. And as far as long life, funny thing happens. Every time I go to a pastor's conference, I see guys I haven't seen in a year. Sometimes I haven't seen in a couple of years. And they always come up to me and they say, man, this guy never ages. I think that's because I have my hair. But in either case, they're, oh, this, this guy never ages. And, and the truth is, I always say to them, I say, well, I take care of myself. Healthy living. That's, that's part of, by the way, what we're going to talk about tonight. You, you live well. You take care of yourself. You do the right things. You don't eat the wrong things. You eat the right things. You don't drink the wrong things. You drink the right things. And guess what? That's wisdom. And guess what happens? you live longer, and you have a quality of life that you wouldn't have otherwise. So that's certainly very true. Another thing that I think wisdom really helps us with is our reputation. Look at verses 3 through 4. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor, excuse me, then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Now, Your favor in the sight of God, a good name in the sight of God, is your character. But in the sight of man is your reputation, who you you appear to be to man and who you really are before God. The one thing I really like in verse 3 is it says that wisdom, applying wisdom, will cause us to love and be faithful. To love and be faithful. Look what it says. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Love and faithfulness. You know, the thing about loving people is it's difficult at times. It is. It's challenging. Especially when those people are not the easiest people to love. Makes me think, I think it was a David Sanborn song, Love and Happiness. But love and faithfulness is what happens to you and to your character and to your reputation when... You allow yourself to care for others, even sometimes when they don't care for you, and you're good to your word. Faithfulness is trustworthy, being trustworthy. Like, you tell someone, oh, I'll meet you there, and you actually show up. Is there anything more annoying, perhaps, than, you know, you make plans with somebody, and like five minutes after they're supposed to be there, you get a text, oh, sorry, I'm not going to make it. That's not a faithful person. I, I always like to use baseball analogies, you know. 
And I, I think that when you look at the infield of a baseball team, uh, and you think about faithfulness, I always think of the first baseman. Because the one thing that first baseman has to do is catch the ball and tag the bag. Like, you have to rely on that. If he doesn't do that, there's no way you can win because almost always that's the play. Almost always the hit is made or it's a single or, or the play is made to first. And if that first baseman is not reliable and trustworthy that you know you're going to throw the ball, they're going to catch it and tag the bag, that's not a, a person that you can rely on, so therefore they're not faithful. So when I think of the baseball analogies, I always think of the first baseman has to be faithful. They have to be relied upon. When you are a faithful person, people can rely on you. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you can always be there for people. What it does mean is you're faithful. So what he says is you apply wisdom, therefore you'll be a loving person, you'll be a faithful person, and of course that's going to give you a good reputation, right? People are going to look at that, oh, you can count on her, you can count on him. Oh yeah, very loving person, a very kind person. If you're not that kind of person, if you don't apply wisdom, what do people say? Oh, don't bother asking him, he won't do it. Oh, don't talk to her, she's having a bad day. You don't want to be that person. Bind it around your, your neck. It says, you know, bind them around your neck and write them on the top of, of your heart. Let that be who you are. And people will notice. And that's what wisdom will do for you. Another thing here it talks about is the fact that it creates godly character, which leads to a good reputation. So character is what happens in the sight of God. In the sight of God and man, reputation is what happens when you're a person of character. People will often say, don't worry about your reputation. Be concerned about your character and your reputation will follow. So that's another one of the many blessings and rewards that applying wisdom to your life will bring. And then we get to verses 5 through 12. And this could be a Bible study in and of itself. In fact, I've probably taught this section isolated as a topical study because it's so good. And, but we're going we're to look at it nonetheless this evening. And in verses 5 through 12, I'll read the whole section, and then we're going to go back over it because there are four blessings that come as a result of applying wisdom that are talked about in verses 5 through 12. And I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's one of the most well-known portions of Scripture in the book of Proverbs, and even one of the most well-known portions of Scripture from the Bible. We read in verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight, or he will direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes, and fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Now, of course, contextually, that fits into the entire chapter, but it's also isolated from the other verses in that it's talking to us about the blessings that come through faith. The blessings that come through faith. And wisdom will bless us with faith and give us faith, and that will lead to other blessings. See, I want you to understand, wisdom brings faith, or hearing the word of God, right, brings faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. 
So the wisdom you receive builds your faith, and that faith in God will bring many other blessings. Have you ever been blessed because you had faith in God? Amen? Has your faith in God proved to be a blessing in your life? Of course. Reading the Word of God, the wisdom of God, the knowledge and the understanding of God's Word increases your faith, and faith brings blessings. Now let's talk about what some of these blessings are. There are four. If you're taking notes, these are four that I really like. First, direction. Now, here's the thing. Again, you, you know, some people like to do, I forgot what they called it. Is it not bibliography? Um, uh, there, there's, a, there's another word where they would open up the Bible in ancient times. Uh, I've forgotten the word. I'll remember it for next time. But uh, there, you open up the word and you just kind of page through it and you put your finger down. And they believe that this was some kind of magical, mystical way that God would speak to you. And, of course, it's silly to do that. And, uh, you know, I, I think that you really need to be, be led of the Holy Spirit, not randomly paging through the Bible, putting your finger down and insisting that that's God's word for you. I mean, I don't think there's probably people here who have done that, and maybe God has spoken through that. I don't recommend it at all. Uh, but I do know direction is one of the things that many people come to God for. And, you know, if you're thinking about taking a job, for example, and you don't know whether to leave your current job, you're not going to be able to go to the Bible and find a chapter and a verse that says, Tom, leave your job, or Olga, take this job. It's not going to happen like that. So you need wisdom from God's Word, and then that wisdom will help you make the right decision. So here we go. Let's read it again, verses 5 and 6. Very practical. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He will direct you. He will direct your paths. So this is how you receive direction. First, you trust in God completely. You trust in God completely. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, right? And that's one of the things we don't do. Oh, I don't know what to do. Oh, I don't know what to do. You know, people are having panic attacks trying to figure out what to do, that's not trusting in the Lord with all your heart, is it? See, you can trust that whatever you decide, God will lead you, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. That's what Isaiah tells us. I believe it's chapter 26. So I, I, I think it's not a magic eight ball, but it is the word of God that gives you wisdom to make good decisions. When you trust in God completely... God can work and direct you in a way he can't if you're doubting him. The next thing you want to do, or not do really, is don't trust in yourself at all. Trust in God. Don't trust in yourself. Here's the thing. Many people, when they're making a decision, will have a pros and cons list. And and there's wisdom in that, in in, in looking at the things that would be good or bad. I, I don't think it's a bad thing, necessarily, But you can do a pros and cons list to, like, going on a mission trip, and I'm sure that there will be many cons and not so many pros, and yet that may be what God is calling you to do. So you need to trust in the Lord if the Lord is leading you, and then don't trust in yourself at all. Notice, not only trust in the Lord with all your heart, but lean not on your own understanding. We could stop right there. Those two things will save you a lot of grief. Trusting in the Lord with all your heart, giving your life to God. Lord, I trust you. Direct me. Lead me. I'll do what you want me to do. And I'm not going to try to figure this out myself. 
That's probably going to take us the rest of our lives to master just those two things, right? Sadly. But if you can let go and allow God to lead you and then don't get in the way, I can guarantee you God will direct you because those two things are in place. But it goes a little further, and this is where some people don't follow through. Notice it goes on to say, in all your ways, acknowledge him. That doesn't mean, oh God, I'm going to the bar. I acknowledge you. I'm going to the bar to hang out with my friends. No, it's acknowledge means to obey him. Acknowledge him by living your life according to his word. Live a life of obedience. That is, obey God's word. So trust in the Lord completely. Don't trust in yourself at all. And live a life of obedience. Obey God's word. So let's say you're making a decision to take this job, and they tell you right up front, listen, we're going to give you some of your salary under the table. That's what we used to call it growing up, under the table. That meant they were going to give you cash, and you're not going to pay taxes on it, which is illegal. And you're wondering, Lord, are you in this? No wondering. There's no wondering at that point. You're trusting God, right? Amen? You're not putting your trust in yourself. And if you're going to acknowledge the Lord, as it says here, in all your ways acknowledge him, then how can you take that job knowing that you're doing the wrong thing? See, that's how this actually works practically. By obeying God, you can very easily find the direction the Lord will give you. Finally, there's one last thing, and that's the promise. It goes, and he will make your path straight. He will direct you according to his will. So you're trying to figure out God's will. The number one question I get when people look for biblical counseling, and they come to me and they ask me questions. Number one, pastor, how do I know the Lord's will? This is how you figure it out. Trust in the Lord completely. Don't trust in yourself at all. Live a life of obedience to God's word. And a promise, is a, it's a general promise, but it's still a promise. He will direct you according to his will. He will show you what to do. I love that. I mean, that's, I could go home. That, that's enough to digest right now. But we won't. We'll keep going. Because direction is a blessing. But health is also a blessing. The second blessing we're promised here is health in verses 7 through 8. Yes, health. Now, that doesn't mean everyone who reads God's word is going to stay healthy. Again, remember, these are generalizations. You may actually have a health problem, and God can work through that too and teach you things like we saw in the book of Job. But it says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Now, I like that. I'm, I'm a fitness person. I do a lot of physical training. And I can tell you, of all the things that I do, they're, they're marginally helpful to staying in shape. But the best thing I can do is not to be wise in my own eyes. That is, not to try to think what I think is, is more uh, beneficial than what God says. And then also, let's fear the Lord and shun evil. That is, respect God and don't do things that are sinful. Imagine that. Imagine that. If you don't do sinful things, you'll be blessed. By the way, many people think that sin is sin because it's good and God wants to keep us from it. No, sin will harm you and hurt you and destroy you. And God loves you so much that he hates sin because it hurts us. And he says, don't sin 
not because he's trying to hold back good things from us. He wants us to be blessed. So he hates sin because it hurts us. So fear the Lord and shun evil. Don't do what you know is wrong. This is the promise. It will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Now, when this was written, I'm I'm not so certain that they understood that the bones and the marrow in the bones have everything to do with your health and your immune system. If your bones are healthy, you're healthy. The marrow in your bones. Many times when someone has an immune disorder, they'll get a bone marrow transplant. Cancer oftentimes finds its way into the bones. Being healthy and having a healthy immune system means your bones are good. And if your bones are not healthy, you're not healthy. It's that simple. So when we think about it, the Bible knows that. God knows that. His wisdom shows us that. But now we know, don't rely on your own wisdom. Rely on the Lord's wisdom. And living in this way will promote health. So yeah, the Bible promises health to those that listen and apply wisdom. And I think of a million ways that that is practical. Like, for example, wisdom is knowing that smoking harms you. So if you smoke or drink or do things or eat too much sugar or, or do things that you shouldn't do that, that will be bad for you, that, that would be being wise in your own eyes. Oh, no, it's okay. I'll just, you know, drink soda every day. You, guys, if there's one thing I can encourage you to do, don't drink soda. Don't drink sugary drinks. I often say to people, you want to lose weight? Number one way to lose weight, just drink water and seltzer or iced tea or coffee without sugar. Get the sugar out of your life. I know this isn't a health seminar, but that I would tell you is the number one thing. I know someone I told to do that and they lost like 60 pounds over a couple of weeks just by getting rid of sweet drinks. But we'll move on from there. Some of you guys are like, I didn't come here to, you know. No, but listen, it's wisdom. It's wisdom. Don't rely on your own wisdom. The Lord's wisdom tells us what's good for us. And if you know something's bad for you and you do it anyway, well, then you're not going to be healthy and don't blame God. Okay, so living in this way will promote health. So direction, we love that. Health, how about prosperity? We talked about it a little before. Success. Does anyone take a job and say, I really hope I fail? at this job and get fired. I hope you don't do that. Maybe there's some people that sabotage themselves because they have issues, but I think generally you take a job and you do something, you want to be prosperous. If you're investing in the stock market, do you say, oh, I really hope I lose $1,000 today? I don't think so. You want, to, you want to invest, you want to do well. So prosperity, prosperity is for those that listen to the wisdom of God. Notice it says in verses 9, through 10. And this is very interesting because this is how you can be prosperous. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Now, what does that mean? Giving, yes. Yes, it it can mean giving and blessing others. But it means the things you choose to spend your money on are honoring to God. I think a lot of people don't look at that and, and interpret that like that. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Oh, I, I, had, I got a $4,000 bonus. I can, I can go to, and I'm going to really, I can go to hedonism. Now, I, I, listen, I don't even know if that place is still around, but when I, was a, when I was a young person, I would hear this story about people going to this place called hedonism. That's really all I know, but I can tell you right now, I never went there, but would you go to, a, as a Christian, should you be vacationing at a place called hedonism? For those of you who don't know, hedonism is the, is the 
desire to, for pleasure. It's, it's giving yourself over to your lusts, your desires, so it can't be a good place. So when I look at this, I realize, honor the Lord with your wealth. The things you spend your money on, may they be things that are honoring to God. Honoring to God. I, I'm going to be straight up with you. You know, I, I was very disappointed in, uh, in Disney over the last couple of years. And listen, I mean, I love all the Marvel stuff, and I love all of the Star Wars stuff, and Disney's got a lock on all of that, you know? And there's stuff you can't watch unless you have Disney+. Plus. But I, re- I canceled Disney+, Plus because I didn't want to take my money and give it to them. And that's my prerogative. And there's people that are, I mean, I didn't, I don't drink beer, but there are people that are not buying certain beers now, right? Because they want, want to honor the Lord with their wealth or, or going to certain stores because they want to honor the Lord with their wealth. I think that fits into that category. And there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, but they're closing. Hey, listen, let these corporations get their act together and then they can have my money. So I'm done. Honor the Lord with your wealth, right? Your wealth. Obey the Lord, yes. Through giving, yes. It does say that. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. That talks about the tithe. That talks about under the Jewish law, how they were supposed to support the temple and the priests, yes. But it's a little bit more than that. And if you do these things, if you honor the Lord with your wealth, if you obey the Lord through giving, and you trust the Lord, because you have to trust the Lord to give, right? Your first fruits, it means the best. The best of what you have. You know, one of the things that uh, I started doing very early on as a Christian, I uh, chose to give. I made a commitment when I was uh, attending church in New York City that I was going to give a certain amount. And I continue to honor that commitment as a pastor here. I give to the church as well. So I honor the Lord with my wealth and my blessings, even though I receive my salary from the church. Why do I do that? Because I want to be blessed. I want to be prosperous too. And investing in the kingdom of God is a privilege. It is. It's a wonderful privilege. And, you know, I, I'm preaching to the choir because you guys understand this. We don't, we don't make a point to talking about these types of things at church because we don't need to. We really don't. God has put it on the hearts of the people that attend this fellowship to give generously, and we've never had issues with that. But when you actually give and you make a commitment, oh, Lord, I'm going to give 5% or 8% or 10% or I'm going to do this, or, and, and we're not, we don't tithe, we give. Tithing is an Old Testament principle. We give. It's love offerings. And whatever you commit is between you and the Lord, according to Paul, right, in 2 Corinthians. So whatever you decide, if you're faithful with that, despite the fact that your bills have gone up, because listen, my bills went up this last year, but I continue to give what I'm committed to give. That's trusting the Lord with the first fruits of your crops. That's actually the exact thing. It's Honoring the Lord and trusting the Lord with the first fruits of your crops. So if you do that, notice, here's the promise, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Now, in an agrarian society, that meant you'd be wealthy. Because you could have a harvest and, you know, your barns are only half full. You could have a harvest and, ah, they're full. No, to overflowing. That means God blesses the person that honors him with their wealth. And your vats will brim over with new wine. That would be the vintage. The the harvest and the vintage were the two very important things to this society, the ancient world. Uh, The vintage would be the grapes that they would make wine from. 
uh, and of course the harvest would be their grain, and this is how they survived. And we're told that the Lord would abundantly provide for their needs. Their needs. Why? Because they weren't uh, relying on themselves. They were trusting in the Lord, obeying the Lord through giving, and trusting the Lord with the first fruits. So that principle today carries on. Even though this is in the Old Testament, it's still a great principle. And so not only direction, not only health, but prosperity is one of the rewards of wisdom. Amen? I mean, we want direction, we want health, we want prosperity. But here's the thing. We don't always want discipline. But can I tell you something? I'm a very disciplined person. Discipline is such a blessing. Being disciplined. Now, whether that's working out, taking care of yourself, just taking care of your your life and those around you, uh, or just doing the right thing. Discipline is a very important thing. By the way, we're disciples, right? Uh, Where do you think the root word comes from? Discipline. We follow Christ faithfully. And so discipline, look what it says in verse 11, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Now that can be instruction, that can be correction, that can be teaching, that can be rebuke, that can be being reproved. Do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. That is when you're corrected. By the way, if you resent being corrected, you'll never learn. I mean, whatever discipline, whether you're a musician or martial artist, whatever you do, you're going to be corrected. And you want to be corrected. Because when you're corrected, guess what? You learn. So don't resent when God rebukes you because it means you're learning. Wisdom. Notice, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. By the way, a father or a mother that doesn't properly discipline their children isn't loving them properly. You know that, right? Or have you been in a supermarket maybe when there's a kid acting out and a kid doesn't seem to get disciplined? I mean, I was, we were at a, it was a a, a town ice cream social yesterday that we attended and I saw a mother taking the child out and the child didn't want to leave, so the child was smacking the mother's arm. I said to myself, if I ever even thought about that, I'd be missing an arm. My dad would have ripped it off and beat me with it. I don't understand. I mean, I'm not saying that should happen, but like, I mean, that kind of physical abuse, but like, what? Anyway, discipline is what a loving parent does with her children. That discipline doesn't have to be hitting your child. In fact, once they get to a certain age, that's ineffective generally. I wish someone would have told my dad that when I was a teenager, but I can tell you discipline is something you should want in your life. Here's what happens. You need to recognize the Lord's discipline as love and not despise it. He will lovingly teach you as his child. You want to be a child of God? To as many as received them, to, to those that believed on his name, he gave them the right to be called children of God. If you're a child, the parent is going to discipline. And God is going to discipline. And I think of discipline as instruction. And then when you do the wrong thing, correction. And when you insist on continuing to do the wrong thing, rebuke. But it's all God's love through his word. Amen? So in just this section, we've learned from the wisdom of God how to receive God's direction, how to be blessed with health, how to be prosperous, and how to lead a disciplined life. Like I said, that's a lot to take in, and there's a lot of good things to think about. 
He goes on to talk about some of the things that he's kind of already touched on. But in verses 13 through 18, we learn that wisdom will bless us with incomparable riches. And I think this is both the riches of wisdom and riches itself, because prosperity comes to those who apply wisdom. Look what it says in verse 13. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she likening wisdom to a woman, is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and notice, in her left hand are riches and honor. So you apply wisdom, we're back to that theme of longevity and prosperity. It's just another way of saying the same thing. So there you go. Blesses us with incomparable Riches. It also, wisdom blesses us with an understanding of how the world was created. So, it's the fool who says in his heart there is no God. But it's the wise person who understands that God created the heavens and the earth. Amen? Look what it says in verses 19 through 20. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations by understanding He set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the deeps were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. Now, I don't know if you picked up on that, but remember, the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And what Solomon tells us is that by wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. That is, he created the earth. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. That is, the atmosphere, the universe, the stars, the celestial heavens. And by knowledge, the deeps were divided. That would be the, the sea. See, the, all the things we see around us were created by God using knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, the very thing that you can receive from God's word. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to have the power to do those things, but it does mean that with those things, you will understand the truth that God created the heavens and the earth and the sea. Amen? I love this. I love this stuff, if you haven't noticed. I really do. Good stuff. Okay, so we go on now to verse 21. And here, I like this because there's a lot of people who are fearful today. You can't be fearful and be successful. Risks are a part of life, like walking out the door, getting in your car. Heaven forbid getting on Route 3 during rush hour, or Route 21 for that matter. So one of the things that wisdom does is it blesses us with safety and success. A lot of people concerned about being safe right now. One could argue, and I'm I'm not advocating for this for everyone here, but one could argue that being able to protect yourself physically is, is wisdom, wise. One could also argue that maybe having a weapon in your home in case there's a home invader is wise, or having an alarm on your house is wise. That's, up, that's between you and the Lord. You have to make those decisions. But I'll tell you this. One thing about wisdom, you apply it, and you'll be safe and successful. I can tell you this much. It's not wise to be out and about at 3 o'clock in the morning, right? So here we do know that wisdom brings safety and success. Verse 21, my son, he pleads with his son again, preserve sound judgment and discernment. Do not let them out of your sight. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety and your foot will not stumble. By the way, back in the day, if your foot stumbled, you could get hurt. You could break a leg and they didn't have hospitals. 
being safe was very important in the ancient world. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Many people can't get to sleep because they're fearful, anxious. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Oh, that's one of the ways you know you're trusting God. If you sleep sweetly. We like to say sweet dreams. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being snared or stepping into a trap. Now, you have to rely on God because you're just not smart enough. I'm just not smart enough to avoid every trap. I mean, I can't, I can train to protect myself. I can have a weapon in my home. I can have an alarm on my house, but I I don't rely on those things. I rely on the Lord and the wisdom he gives me to protect myself. So understand, safety and success, being blessed, come because we apply God's wisdom, and then he becomes our confidence. Notice it goes on to say in verse 27, that wisdom will bless us with guidance on how to love other people and care for others. Look at verses 27 through 32. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back later, I will give it tomorrow, when you have it with you. Do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you, and do not accuse a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a violent man or choose any of his ways, for the Lord detests a perverse man, but takes the upright into his confidence, that is, he shares his word with those who are righteous. Okay. Guidance. It's a little different than direction. Guidance is what you need to do. Direction is a decision you might need to make. Guidance is like, you need to do this. And here's what we learn. Verses 27 through 28, be generous and be fair with others. Be generous and be fair with others. That is, don't withhold good from people. And don't, like your neighbor asks, oh, can I borrow your uh, power washer? And you say, oh, yeah, um, come back tomorrow, you know. There's a little sign at Jose Teos that says, free cerveza mañana. And I'm, I guarantee that if you went to the bar, not that you should, but, and you said, oh, I'd like, cerveza means a beer, right? Oh, I'd like a, a let's say a non-alcoholic beer. Uh, I'd like a beer. Oh, and they say, oh, yeah, tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. You come back tomorrow. I guarantee if you ask, they're going to say tomorrow. That's the joke, right? That's the joke of the sign, free cerveza mañana. And a lot of times people will say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But what they're doing is they're blowing you off. They're not actually going to help you. Oh, when I get paid. Oh, you know, I had bills. Oh, oil's high. Taxes are high. I had to put gas in my car. I need, Oh, my car needed to be repaired. Don't do that. If you can help a person, don't blow them off. Don't push them aside. That's the point. So be generous and fair. Notice fair with others. And notice in verses 29 through 30, be trustworthy and honest. And this is like a, a, a code to live by. Be trustworthy and honest. Don't try to harm people. Don't go out of your way to think of ways to harm people. If people live next to you, by the way, your neighbors should trust you, right? They should trust you. They should know you're trustworthy, that you're not trying to harm them. And don't accuse people for no reason when someone hasn't done anything to you. So that is the whole idea of being honest. Don't lie about others to hurt them or harm them. And be peaceful and upright, verses 31 through 32. Peaceful. Don't envy a violent man or choose any of his ways. Don't do things that violent people do. 
Don't do that. Why? The Lord detested perverse men, and he blesses and speaks to the heart of the person who is upright and righteous, and you want to be blessed. So be generous and fair, trustworthy and honest, peaceful and upright, or that is righteous before God. Finally, in verses 33 through 35, wisdom blesses us with honor and grace. Notice, here's the promise. In verse 33, the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked. We've talked about that. But he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. The wise inherit honor, but fools he holds up to shame. There you have several contrasts. It says, you know, the Lord's curse is on the wicked, but he blesses the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, gives grace to the humble. The wise inherits honor, but the fool ends, uh, he holds up to shame. So there you have a contrast in those three sections, those three verses. Here's what happens if you're blessed. Here's how you're blessed for applying wisdom. Here, if you're foolish, what's going to happen to you is going to be a curse. God is going to not bless you, and that in and of itself is a curse. So lots to think about there. So wisdom will bless us. Now let's get into chapter 4. It's brief. Uh, There's some things here I just want to close with. Wisdom will bless us, but wisdom must be sought after. You should make, according to Solomon and certainly the Word of God, you should make learning about God's wisdom the quest of your life. Like your whole purpose in life. People say, well, what's the purpose of your life? Really to learn God's wisdom through his word and to apply it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That really should be your whole purpose in life. To learn God's word and apply it. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. Let's see what it says in verses 1 through 9. Here Solomon is encouraging his sons as he writes to them just the way his father David encouraged him to seek wisdom, to pursue it. Look at verses 1 through 9. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender and only a child of my mother, he taught me and said, lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom or she and, and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Esteem her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. Set She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. That is, you will be rewarded in so many wonderful ways as we've been talking about. So there's really more of an exhortation to pursue wisdom. Solomon pleading with his sons the way that David had encouraged Solomon to seek wisdom. Now, as you pursue wisdom, you're going to get wisdom because God gives to all that ask liberally or without measure. So if you lack wisdom, ask God and he'll give it to you without measure, liberally. He'll give you as much as you need. Here's the problem with most of us. We get wisdom, but we don't hold on to it. We don't cling to it. That's what happens when we know better, but we don't do better. Look at verses 10 through 19. Solomon, again, pleading with his son, 
to avoid wickedness and stay on the path of wisdom. Here's what he says in verse 10. Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I guide you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way. For they cannot sleep till they do evil. They are robbed of slumber till they make someone fall. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Let's go on verses 18 through 19. The path of righteous of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. That is, it's the beginning, right? The path of righteous, it's the beginning of a sunrise, essentially. But the way of the wicked is deep darkness, like the middle of the night. They do not know what makes them stumble. So they don't even know. Like Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. The wicked travel about in in darkness. That is ignorance. Many times they don't even know why they do what, what they do. Why do you drink? I'm talking about someone who drinks like an alcoholic. Why do you drink? I don't know. Why do you do drugs? I don't know. Oftentimes people say, why do you do these things? I don't know. They're in darkness. They don't even know why they do these things half the time. And then they have to learn why they do those things so they can stop doing those things with God's help. But isn't it sad when we could be on the path of the righteous? Here's the thing that Solomon says to his sons, cling to wisdom. Not only pursue wisdom, cling to it. Hold on to it. Don't let it go. And you do that by avoiding wickedness and staying on the path of wisdom. Stay on the path. When you get off the path, you're traveling, let's say you're hiking in the woods, and you see the clearly marked path, and you get off the path, bad things happen, right? Like you get lost. Do you want to be lost? No. You want to be found. Stay on the path. Finally, it's not enough to pursue wisdom or even cling to wisdom because you have to apply wisdom. And here's what we learn in verses 20 through 27. And I love this because this is really something to just take home before we close. Verse 20. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Above all, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Again, Solomon's plea to his son. There are four things I'm going to leave you with this evening. Four things that you should have seen, but I'll, remember, I'll, I'll, I'll comment on it so you'll remember them. Your heart. Guard your heart. Verse 23 says it this way. Above all else, the most important thing, guard your heart, 
It's the wellspring of life. Now, again, we know that our hearts pump blood through our, 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 our bodies, right? It is a wellspring of life, but that's not really what he's talking about. It's not an anatomy class. Your heart has to do with your conscience, your soul, who you really are, not the heart in your chest, but it's likened unto the heart in our chest. It's a wellspring of life. That is, if your soul is nourished by the wisdom of God, it is going to bring life to your entire being. You won't be suffering a heart attack, so to speak, spiritually. Guard your heart. How do we guard our hearts? Apply wisdom. I've talked enough about it. I don't need to repeat it, do I? How about this one? Verse 24. Put away perversity from your mouth and keep corrupt talk from your lips. That is, watch your mouth. (laughs) Watch your mouth. Guard your heart. Watch your mouth. Watch what comes out of your mouth. David said, oh Lord, put an angel by my lips. James, oh my goodness, he talks about the tongue as a rudder that steers a ship to a shipwreck. It's a fire that burns the whole body. Listen, watch your mouth. Guard your heart. And you know what happens if you guard your heart? That's what goes into who you are. Generally, the mouth, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So generally, if you guard your heart, your your mouth is going to be okay. If you put wickedness in your heart or allow it to fester there, then your mouth is going to speak the things that are perverse, as it says here, and corrupt. So guard your heart, watch your mouth. How about this one, verse 25? Let your eyes look straight ahead. There's so many applications there. By the way, if you're driving and there's an accident and you stop and slow down, I'm just going to plead with you. Don't. That's why we have traffic jams, rubbernecking. I really think it should be a capital crime. No, I'm just kidding. But It irritates me so much. I'm like, really? If you want to see accidents, you can go on YouTube and watch really gory accidents But if you're trying to get somewhere new, keep your eyes straight ahead. That's a perfect example of what happens on the road. You know, and then generally there's another accident because someone's looking, they're not, boom. Then there's another. Then you have the accident and the, the, the accident that happened because they were looking at the accident. Here's the thing. In life, I'm using that as an analogy. If you're looking away from where you're going and what you're doing, oh, please, can I tell you this? When you're crossing the street, put your phone down. We were down the beach on Sunday. Every person with a phone, you're at the beach. Look up. It's beautiful. I mean, that's, I assume that's why they went to the beach, to see the ocean and the boardwalk. And then crossing the street to the boardwalk, looking down at their phone. People are insane. I don't understand that. I do not have a cell phone. But I do not understand why you would go to the beach. If you're sitting in your living room looking at your phone, that's between you and God but you're crossing the street. Do you think maybe you want to look up when you're crossing the street? Fix your eyes forward. Look where you're going. And I'm not even going to get into if you're looking at your phone while you're driving because that is the unpardonable sin as far as I'm concerned. And if you're doing that, that's between you and the Lord. But I'm just telling you right now, I don't know if God forgives that sin. I'm kidding. Fix your eyes. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your eyes. Gaze directly before you. 
You're down the beach. Oh, pastor, when I go to the beach, I, I, I have struggled with lust. Well, if you're doing this, I could see why. Straight ahead. Okay. Obviously, I went to the beach this weekend. Make level paths for your feet. So we've talked about guarding your heart, watching your mouth, fixing your eyes. Finally, watch your steps. You see, here's the thing. If you guard your heart, watch your mouth, and fix your eyes, you're watching your steps. Watch your step. Here's the thing. It says, make level paths for your feet. That is, walk on safe ground. Take only ways that are firm. Walking through a swamp, not a good idea. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Stay on the path. We're back to that theme again. Keep your foot from evil. These are all analogies to apply wisdom. That's all that means. I had a little fun with that, but but listen. If you guard your heart, watch your mouth, fix your eyes, and watch your steps, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be blessed. And I want you to be blessed. I want to be blessed. God wants to bless you. Wisdom brings its rewards. But you and I, we have to apply it. We have to pursue it. We have to hold on to it, cling to it. And we have to apply it. And what we've seen in chapters 3 and 4 is exactly how to do all those things. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us wisdom. Oh, we need it in this wicked world. Continue to give us wisdom. Lord, we ask. We lack and we ask. And we know that you give it to us generously, liberally, and without measure. Lord, we desire to, most of all, be wise in this, that as we read the gospel, as we learn what Jesus did by coming and dying on the cross for our sins, and that he rose again on the third day, and that he's coming again to judge the living and the dead, as we learn these things, may we be wise enough to apply our hearts to it, that is, to apply your word to our hearts, and give our hearts to you as our Lord and Savior, that first and foremost, we would be saved for eternity. That's the wisest thing anyone can do. But then following that, to live lives that honor you, we need to apply the wisdom of your word. And so we ask not only, first off, that every heart that hears this message would give their hearts to you, but then every heart that hears this message, that they would apply wisdom from your word, that they might be blessed abundantly by you. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.